Craig and I have been doing these seminars for for some time now in front of a live audience, and obviously with uh, how things are in the world today, uh, we're, we're, uh, we need to use technology, so we're doing this, uh, this Zoom uh, presentation for you. So we do appreciate you uh, uh, joining us. Uh, typically, when uh, when when we do these, uh, one of the things that uh, we we obviously we talk about a lot is is the book. And uh, when when we start, we always I always say that uh, having worked with Craig for a long time, uh, the book there's primarily three themes. Uh, they are income during and through retirement. And when we talk income, we're talking sustainable income education funding, and estate and asset transfer. Now, for tonight's presentation, we're really going to focus on numbers one and three. That, uh, again, the income and then the estate and asset transfer. With that, as we typically go through this, we always say there's various money decisions that folks have to make. Um, things dealing with accumulating assets, distribution of those assets, i.e. income, and preservation of those assets. We talk about the eroding factors of money, taxes, inflation, market volatility, which we're seeing a lot of, as you all know, time and health, which obviously is also uh, very much on everyone's mind. Uh, so that basically is the presentation. That's the format. Um, those themes are covered in, in the book. There are some things I will tell you, Craig is in the process of actually doing the second edition because of uh, something called the SECURE Act, which will is another presentation and uh, one we will be doing uh, in a future date. And, um, and with that, we also obviously are talking a lot about the coronavirus and COVID-19 and how that is changing the landscape of, of saving, investing, and and again, income through retirement and estate and asset transfer. So that is basically the, the presentation, the way that we do it. When we start off, uh, we usually have a little goofy quiz because Craig and I are both educators, come from the educational uh, field and educational background. And then that allows us to then get into the presentation that Craig is going to uh, take you through. So. Uh, first, uh, and I'm going to let Craig obviously introduce, you know, introduce himself, and then he'll introduce Mark. But again, I've worked and uh, known Craig for uh, for 17 years. Uh, we actually worked in the same complex uh, uh, with another company that uh, we'll leave uh, nameless right now. But um, uh, we've gotten to not only know each other as, uh, as as colleagues and business professionals, but friends as well. And uh, uh, very excited when Craig said he was going to, to write the book and I take my copy with me everywhere. I've got notes and highlights uh, throughout it. So again, I'd encourage you to, to pick up a copy. Uh, but before uh, Craig gets started, I think Mark, we had a couple little poll questions that you might wanna. We'll go ahead and pull them up. Uh, Craig, can you do me a favor and hit the uh, green button again or stop sharing because uh, I wanna do it full screen here so they can see us. There you go. All right, so let's uh, start off with the first question here. Just to get you warmed up. So what, what I want you to do is once I put this question up, I'm gonna launch it, um, we'll read it out loud and then go ahead and then on your screen, uh, you can actually enter a true or false to the question. So our very first question is true or false, the death benefit from social security is $2,055. Anybody know the answer to that question? Take a guess if you don't. 
Um, and you'll have about uh, 10 more seconds to answer it, but just uh, click it on your screen and then we'll show the results. Again, you won't be uh, graded on this question, so uh, take, take, a, take your best guess. Okay, um, with that, we're gonna have a couple of more questions, but let's end the polling here. And I'll go ahead and share the results with you guys. Can you guys see it? Yeah, so it says, uh, true or false, the death benefit from Social Security is $2,055. Uh, I guess it says you can't see the results, but I'll read them out loud. 40% uh, uh, of you said true and 60% of you said false. Okay, so uh, why don't you guys give the answers? Because it doesn't, Justin had it right, it doesn't have so in the chat box, uh, someone wrote in the right answer. And so not only is it, is it false, but uh, he actually put in the exact right answer. So very good studying there. I'm yeah. surprised this guy. Yeah. You don't know the way I do. Yeah. Uh... So the answer was, for those of you that don't see the chat bar, was $255. So just off by a factor of 10. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, um, all right. Um, well, one last thing, and then... Um, I'll be turning this over to uh, to Craig. One of the things that we also do, in addition to the, the goofy little quiz that we hand out at the beginning, is throughout the book there are a lot of uh, websites that Craig mentions that uh, um, have some great content, some great information that we always encourage folks to take a look at. So we created a handout with uh, with those websites and. Um, because we're obviously we're not in front of a live audience, a live studio audience, um, what we're, we're going to suggest is at the end of this presentation, Craig's contact information is there. If you would like to get, uh, you know, get a listing of all of these websites in which you'd have the links to every single one of the websites mentioned in the book, uh, by all means, make sure you uh, reach out uh, with Craig and follow up. And then the last thing is if you have questions, there is a chat bar. Uh, if there's something you have a question about, as Craig is going through his portion, and then when Mark uh, goes through his, by all means, please you know type that uh, question in, and we will get it answered for you. So with that, my job is done, and I'm going to turn it over to my friend, Craig Lytle. Thank you very much, uh, Scott. And Mark, thank you for taking the time to be here. Uh, everyone, thank you for taking the time to, to log into the webinar. Uh, it's a little bit of a curve and a sudden change for us, uh, as we're talking about, because of the uh, social distancing. The senior center became unavailable to us. We said, let's not cancel the event, but take it online. And so uh, I hope it gives us an opportunity to talk with more people. And so thank you for, um, for taking some time. Just real quickly, I came in the industry in 1998, career companies for the first 10 years along the way met Scott. He touched on that briefly. 2008 being the year that it was. Uh, went out to the independent uh, side of things, and uh, no, no turning back. I'm, I'm pleased to be in that spot because it is, after all, the, um, the client that is our employers. Uh, the, the clients are our employers. Um, as you might expect, the nature of the business is um, mainly one-on-one, -on -one, uh, confidential conversations over and over again with very similar topics, just different people. And so that led me to uh, start writing uh, common problems and how to solve them. Uh, those 12 stories ended up being 12 chapters in, in the book. 
Um, as you become more familiar with the book, you'll see there's uh, a quote at the beginning of each chapter, 10 pages of content, and an action item checklist at the end. I thought it would be a useful uh, resource for many people who are not quite ready to sit one-on-one -on -one with an advisor, uh, maybe not quite comfortable to disclose health and financial matters just yet, but want to know where do I start beginning my investigation to do some due diligence and to begin to learn what's, what's available and what types of things should I be thinking about, what types of things should I be doing. So um, the book itself is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, um, in ebook format for those that like to read on, uh, on a Kindle. Um, all the proceeds are being donated to two charities, the Blood Bank of Delmarva, where, uh, um, where I'm a platelet donor, and the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation because of my connection to it through my wife who's uh, suffered with Crohn's disease for the last uh, 16 years, roughly. Uh, I'm glad to support those two good charities and also help to provide uh, some general information through the um, distribution of the sandwich generation. Um, so what um, I'd like to do here is share a few slides and talk through um, a brief presentation that I've prepared on this three main topics, one and three being uh, the two um, uh, main focus for tonight's, for tonight's discussion. So Scott and I mentioned that we both come from an education background. I work as an adjunct for local colleges. Scott was a high school teacher. Uh, the point of the program here is to provide some information and point you in the direction of some resources. Uh, be at ease that you're not going to be asked to sign up for any program. We're not selling anything here today. We're simply wanting you to uh, leave the session with some knowledge that um, is different than when you came in uh, here at the beginning. Uh, you thought you had some problems as time goes on, in particular with raising children or now the COVID-19. We're just getting started. Uh, we're going to briefly talk about the rising costs of college mainly because when we talk about asset transfers, oftentimes it's the grandparents who help to support educational pursuits for their grandchildren. Uh, many times people will tell me that we've done enough for our kids, we're more interested now in helping our grandchildren. That can work out very nicely in, uh, for one example, if a grandparent wants to open a, a 529 college savings account for a child, for example, they're able to remove that asset from their taxable estate while maintaining control of that asset during their lifetime for benefit of a grandchild. Typically, the uh, successor custodian would be their child, the grandchild's parent in, in a typical scenario. It's not only what you have accumulated to help pay for education, but where it's held that would determine whether one is or is not eligible for uh, financial aid. Oftentimes I hear people say that, oh, forget it, we'll never qualify. I say, not so fast. You might be surprised. Go through the process regardless. Again, we're going very quickly through the education piece this evening as we're talking more about retirement income and estate and asset transfer this evening. But uh, if you do have interest in knowing more about education funding, uh, let me know at the end or through the chat function here, and we'll certainly talk about that offline or I'll invite you to another session like this one more focused on education. This slide um, points out the, the tendency for grandparents to have a, a guardianship over their grandchildren. Um, the next slide talks about parents, adult children who are supporting financially their parents. So I'll toggle between these two because both scenarios are quite common. 
grandparents raising grandchildren, and adult children financially supporting their own parents. Mark might talk a little bit more about, um, about that issue here and how to handle it. So it's the adult child that's supporting their parents and raising kids at the same time that are the classic definition of those who are stuck in the middle as the sandwich generation. Both our time and resources are needed in different areas for those people who are often our family members and people that we tend to love the most. Common answer when asked, like, what would you do for the people that you love the most? People say, I'll do anything. But the fact of the matter is, while you might be able to do just about anything, we certainly cannot do everything. In the context of time, one person can't do all things for all people all the time consistently. Something has to give. Typically, it's the uh, financial and emotional health um, of the individual that's compromised between different priorities. And it's that common challenge, although unique to each person's circumstances, that causes someone to say, what's available to me? What should I be focused on? And how do I prioritize you know, the people and places? And what do I do with my time and money to make the most of whatever it is that I have? And that's, generally speaking, the purpose of encouraging people to uh, get some education, know about what needs to be done. The action item checklist at the end of each chapter help uh, someone to assess, I've already done these things, you can kind of grade yourself and put on the radar screen some things that you haven't had time to get to yet or didn't know you need to do yet and start to think about how to work toward them. Many of the resources are either uh, free or, or low cost. What keeps you up at night? This is just a visual picture of someone that's restless because of a, a, a worry of some sort. And again, it's a very common problem that people are not getting a restful night's sleep because something's bothering them. What that something is, is again, unique to each individual, but it's those types of things that drive people into asking some questions and start to do some research and look to say, how can I take inventory of what I have today and what I want and figure out how to start taking steps to improve my circumstances. Who do you know? Everyone knows someone, right? Everyone knows someone. In particular, today's conversations are around our most vulnerable people, uh, often the elderly or people with chronic conditions. As the news was talking about people with um, secondary illnesses and uh, most at risk with the uh, coronavirus, uh, went online and did a quick Google search and said, uh, how many people in the United States have a chronic illness? And to my surprise, the number was approximately 40%, four zeros, approximately 40% or 133 million Americans have some form of a chronic illness. And, uh, that statistic reinforces the fact that as we get older, we tend to become less healthy and less independent. And that is one of the concerns that we have. And you see the, the picture of the uh, three women here, the mom, her mother and daughter, presumably uh, the three generations that is a classic scenario of someone that wants to do everything they can for the people that they love. But in the context of time, there's only so much time and only so much money to go around. Uh, so being proactive and being mindful, having some conversations up front and getting affairs in order to be organized as best as possible before something happens is what we're advocating. There's a statistic about demographics. Are baby boomers 
approximately 10,000 people every single day are reaching age 65. Just to give uh, some context around how large is this challenge in our country today? Um, how well are people prepared? There's a range. I'll ask you to do some self-assessment to say, how am I situated today with things like my confidence in being able to sustain an income that supports a normal standard of living throughout retirement? It was AARP study that said the uh, number one concern of people entering into retirement is their concern of running out of money. That concern was more of a uh, worry than death itself. And so part of our job is to help people to organize um, in a way that would allow them to retire confidently, knowing that they can um, structure income that they can depend on throughout all of their years. Many times when people are going through that exercise, they assume that today's circumstances will persist throughout. Often that's not true. Often as we get older, exposure to health expenses rise, and we wanna do somewhat of a, a stress test to say that if we have a health expense or a long-term care event or a loved one does, can we afford to stop working earlier than we plan to go become a caregiver or move that person into our home? Some of these compromises are, are there. Um, if someone says we have adequate means to self-insure, let's put that through a model to see, even if you can self-insure, do you want to do that? Or would it make sense to make some arrangements to transfer that risk over to an insurance company? And so for that reason, I asked Mark Lickman to be on the line to run through an example with us. And Mark, if you would, um, share with us a bit about how you do what you do um, as our partner, trusted partner. Sure, yeah, and my, my name is Mark Lickman. I'm sure I'm actually younger than most of you in the audience, but believe it or not, I'm a, I'm a long-term care insurance and planning expert. Uh, I got into this business uh, from the insurance company side of it, where I was actually an actuary involved in pricing the products. My dad was one of the pioneers in the long-term care insurance space. So I kind of grew up in the marketplace, but I've actually been uh, for about 15 years working in this industry. And the thing that really attracted me to continue to work in this is all the people that I run into, they very much care about their clients. Um, they really want to do what's best. That's what you know, appealed to me about working with Craig and Scott here too. And really the topic of long-term care is not about insurance per se. It's about planning for something that's going to happen to a lot of us and not being surprised. Um, you know, there are today 44 million family caregivers in the United States. And the way I think about them is that sandwich generation Craig was talking about. A lot of them are daughters that are taking care of their parents, maybe because their parents didn't have a plan. And most people will say to you, they don't want their kids to have to have that same experience of kind of falling into a position of becoming a caregiver in kind of an unplanned long-term care situation. Uh, personally, I've seen this in my family. Uh, out of my four grandparents, all four needed long-term care. Uh, two of them did not have insurance. They were Holocaust survivors and they were very poor growing up, you know, uh, when they came to this country and my, my, my mom was very poor growing up. Uh, and I watched her take care of her parents out of our home when I was in high school and it affected her health. And so it really you know, connected with me at that time. At that time, I didn't really understand what long-term care planning was about. But as I kind of grew up and became, you know, came into this career, I really looked back on that experience and realized what happened and what could have been avoided uh, had we you know, been, been able to kind of foresee that that was on the horizon. 
Uh, on my dad's side, uh, his uh, parents actually owned an insurance agency and were one of the first agencies to offer long-term care to their clients. And they bought it for themselves. Uh, and they actually were able to have caregivers that were paid for by the insurance company, which really saved my family from having to worry about taking care of them. We had professionals able to do that. And even at my grandmother's, uh, you know, kind of her cer ceremony for life uh, after she passed away, that caregiver actually came to that uh, ceremony and told that, us stories about my grandmother that we didn't even know about. You know, that's how much of a part of the family that that person became. So whether you're going to pay for it yourself or whether you're going to buy insurance to take care of that risk, the key is, is making the right decisions around your plan, being the most important thing. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about insurance because it does offer a lot of value. And I think that's the key thing to remember is that a lot of people hear insurance or long-term care insurance and they think it has to be expensive. But in fact, it doesn't have to be expensive. You're really just buying a certain amount of benefits, a pool of benefits. So we're going to look at kind of a model with that. I don't know, Craig, if you want to go through that right now. And I'll do a screen share. Okay. So we'll, we'll pull this up on the screen. This is just something that I built. Uh, this is kind of what actuaries do. We do spreadsheets real well. So uh, I put together uh, kind of a tool that has a visual component to it just so people can see uh, what a plan might look like. And what I did was I chose someone in Delaware. I chose a single male in this case, but again, we can change some of these parameters. Who's 55 years old. Let's say he's planning for retirement in the next 10 years. Uh, he's in uh, relatively good health. Most people in their 50s qualify for long-term care, but it's important to look at the insurance before you actually have health issues uh, because that allows you to have almost all of your options open for what you want financially. If you wait too long, then you might have a health issue that comes up. Let's say it's Crohn's disease, for example, like, like Craig had mentioned with his wife. It may limit the, the different options you have. Not that they're bad options, but you just want to leave as many options as you can open. And what we're going to do is we're going to plan for a long-term care event. And we're just going to pick an age that's very common uh, where people start to experience the need for needing care. And what that means uh, exactly is that it's um, una being unable to take care of yourself. So let's say that you're having uh, physical issues where you can no longer dress yourself or you can no longer take a shower. Those are oftentimes the first things that you struggle with uh, as you age. Well, this allows someone to be paid for who's a professional to come in and help you with those activities of daily living instead of having your family do it for you. It also covers you if you have severe cognitive impairment, think Alzheimer's disease, which is becoming more and more common as people live longer. Um, in those situations, people oftentimes need constant supervision to protect themselves from wandering away or becoming a danger to themselves or to other people. Um, so age 80 is, is kind of where we start. Sometimes we look at age 85. If let's say uh, you have had a personal experience with your parents who have needed care and they happen to need care at age 85, sometimes we'll start off with your personal experience and we'll plug it in and see what the numbers do. Uh, but that's why we do this as a model. Um, but what this will show us is I chose a kind of a, a middle of the road plan design. Uh, and you'll see that the cost of this plan is about $133 a month. And so it's really important for me to emphasize that most people are actually surprised by how inexpensive long-term care insurance can be. Um, a lot of people buy a lot more benefits than this. And that's, we'll, we'll kind of go into some of the richer benefit uh, possibilities, especially if you're worried about having a, a longer term event, like a catastrophic uh, Alzheimer's type of event where you need care for five or 10 years, then it can get very expensive and you can actually exhaust the amount of benefits in the policy. 
But even if that were to happen, it'd be better that you did something rather than nothing in terms of a plan, because otherwise you might be paying that out of pocket or again, having uh, your family have to take care of you when that might not be the best choice. So $133 a month, again, this is kind of the math behind it. It shows us how much money you have put into this over 25 years. So what you're doing is you're paying it as you go. Over time, you're funding your plan, almost like it's not an investment, but it's kind of like a 401k you know, type of funding, if you're familiar with that, where you're, you're basically putting a little bit away at a time. And this particular plan, if all the benefits were used in full at age 80, would have a pool of benefits of uh, about $230,000 of protection. So the way that we assess the value is we look at what is the client looking to spend being the most important thing, and then how much leverage, insurance leverage, can we get for their dollar? So if they put in 40000 and they have up to 230000 of benefits, they have almost six times the amount of benefits that they put into it. So that's kind of the, the way that we assess the value of doing this maybe versus self-funding, which we'll look at in a moment here. Another thing that we can do and, uh, is we can lengthen the benefit period and, and we, we choose the, the, the product or the insurance company based on what your needs are. Uh, if you have a need where you want longer coverage, um, then we can do that. Um, let me give you a reason why you might look at a two-year benefit like is here is that in Delaware, uh, Pennsylvania, most of the surrounding states, uh, the plans, uh, by and large, that are traditional, called traditional long-term care, have what is called partnership protection. And so we, you, we, we t I'm sure you know a little bit about Medicare and Medicaid, but Medicare doesn't cover long-term care to any significant degree. And Medicaid is only available for long-term care after you spend almost all of your assets. You have to basically spend down to $2,000 before the government will pay for your care and then when they pay for it, it's generally in a nursing home. Um, what the insurance does is it allows you to get care in your home, in assisted living, or in a nursing home. So you have flexibility on that. But if you were to use all the benefits in this policy, in addition to that, with a partnership qualified policy, the government allows you to keep $230,000 in assets and still qualify for Medicaid. So they've kind of partnered with the private market to incentivize people to do long-term care planning because otherwise the government has to pay for it in a lot of cases. So it makes a lot of sense. So that's a reason to do a two year type of plan. And there's a reason to do a longer plan as well. I'm just gonna choose a five year plan as an example. And you'll see it's not significantly more expensive because now we went from two years to five years and you can see how we were able to increase the total benefits because now it's not gonna run out in two years. You have another three years. Um, there's some carriers that have lifetime unlimited coverage um, but you can see that the amount of insurance leverage you get is also increased. And that's what makes the insurance worthwhile here. Um, Craig, any questions that you have? And I can kind of look at self-funding, which you had started to allude to there. Um, no, I just wanted to show everyone on the call today that um, there's a process to go through and we can start with a hypothetical and invite people to change the variables. So what if I'm, mm -hmm. you know, Seven or what if I'm 63, female, and one, two, three years? We can uh, do those all day long uh, mm -hmm. to show the impact of um, what type of plan might make sense for an individual and their family. I'll also add that um, while you can have professional help, many times people like the idea of being a care coordinator for their loved one, being involved to some extent, but without being required to be the only person that's dependent upon for that care. So it's, I think it's helpful to all people involved, allowing the person who's receiving care 
to have some degree additional control and some degree of additional dignity that they wouldn't have if it was their adult child helping them with some things that they would prefer not to have their family member involved with. Right. You know, another thing that you kind of bring to mind, you want to be a care coordinator, but also let's say if you're um, married, a married couple, you don't necessarily want to be the care provider for your spouse. If you're, you know, the same age or nearly the same age, like if they're 80 years old, you know, what's the likelihood that you being 80 years old can really provide that type of care, right? You're also going to be in a situation unable to provide it. What the insurance companies do from a, a planning perspective is they actually offer discounts for people that get coverage together. So oftentimes you'll run into situations where one spouse, oftentimes the female wants to do a plan. Sometimes the male doesn't want to do a plan, but they create a situation where when both people get a plan, you kind of get either a discount or you get what's called a joint policy. And so based on your situation, there are other things that we can do. This is the joint plan for two people. This is the combined cost. So it went up, but it didn't double but you'll see the benefits did double in terms of each person getting a plan. And therefore, if you both used your benefits in full, you'd have more protection. So the creating different types of incentives to get you know, more people to do the planning process to buy the insurance product, um, which I think is, is kind of a good for all parties type of thing. I think it's important to note that um, one of the things we're proposing is if long-term care insurance fits you're exchanging for a known premium to budget in during retirement income and shifting the risk of that larger exposure to um, cost over to the insurance company. And so that's done appropriately. Our, our task is to determine what's the right amount of insurance and what fits the budget so that you can give yourself permission in many ways to enjoy and spend the rest of your savings doing things that you dream about doing during retirement years, knowing that this is provided for. Yeah, exactly. Um, Craig, anything else you wanted to look at for now? We can always kind of come back to this model and look at some other scenarios, but I want to make sure, you know, that everyone's getting their questions addressed and that, you know, from a fundamental perspective, it why people should do the planning process itself as a first point and whether insurance is the right fit for them. And we can kind of talk through the process or what makes this a good or a bad fit. It might be a good topic. What often comes up um, in conversations is uh, someone will ask me, what's the perfect age and when I should start to think about doing this? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. And it's a kind of a personal question in a way because it really depends. First, I would say that you have your retirement plan for typically people will want to make sure that they can pay for their normal retirement expenses before they might look at long-term care or they might buy a little bit of long-term care versus a full-on policy. Um, but the biggest reason why people should plan earlier today has to do with health. The insurance companies have kind of gotten smarter over the years with understanding better the types of people that use uh, the policies more often. And of course, people that have cumulative health conditions are the ones that tend to have the highest expenses. However, so now if you wait until after you have a health condition, like we talked about, you have fewer options available to you. So from my perspective, usually the younger you are, the more options you have, and that's probably the number one reason to do long-term care sooner rather than later. Um, 55 years old is probably around the average age. I think it's around 57 where people buy plans today. But if you did it at age 50, you're probably gonna get an advantage over other people 
who are also 50 by doing this now rather than waiting. The other thing is financial, and you can see this in the model pretty easily too. If we change this and we look at a 50-year-old couple instead of a 55-year-old couple, you'll notice a couple of things. One is that the cost is lower. Uh, typically, if you're younger, the uh, insurance is a little bit less expensive. Um, you'll notice that the total cost was a, about the same or a little bit higher, and that's because you're paying the premium for five years longer here, okay? So it's when you're looking at it and we look at what's called the discounted value, right, with when you include interest on that money, it's actually a lower cost probably for this plan. But the other reason why this works well is that your benefits, I don't know if you saw that side, but that actually went from 1.2 million to 1.4 million because this has an inflation escalator on it where the benefits increase for another five years. So when we're measuring the, the premiums compared to the benefits, you'll notice that this leverage factor went up when we went from 55 to 50. It was about 12 times and now it's about 14 times. And you'll see that always kind of happening. If we're a 45 year old couple, you'll see that this goes up. And that's how we measure, again, the value. The younger you plan, the more insurance protection ultimately you get for your dollar. Um, that's not to say that somebody who's older is not gonna get a good value. Um, if you're 60 years old, it's not, going to be a bad value again it's a roughly it's not that much more expensive you're still getting that that value but that's the other reason to do it sooner rather than later is typically uh, that's the lowest cost insurance policy you can probably ever get in your lifetime is the one that you're probably doing now there are some factors that could lead insurance companies to lower prices but it's very unlikely you know thinking things like interest rates going up you know dramatically right now the government just brought the uh the short-term interest rates down to zero because of COVID 19 all the stuff going on so we just don't see it in the horizon where it's really going to change the pricing in fact it may go the other way where insurance companies will raise the prices and these are actually low lower prices than you can expect in the future so those are the kind of things that we assess and we make recommendations on for clients is you know what will we do for our friends and our families and ourselves too did that answer the question craig willing to pay whatever it costs but they just can't get it because they don't qualify any longer they waited too long had a health event and uh let's say that's off the table this uh isn't available to you so we're we're now looking at doing some other planning alternatives and so i just want to make a point that uh long-term care is what we would start with to see if it's a, an available option um typically a, a health event would either make it cost more or become unavailable altogether yeah, and I, I'll say that, uh, again, the, if you do have health issues, it becomes even more prudent to plan because it may be closer on the horizon, right, for people that have some health conditions that could lead to long-term care events. So even though, for example, there may be fewer options or maybe a little bit more expensive, for example, to get a plan, it's still probably something you would want to do because now you're at greater risk for having that happen. But it's kind of a slippery slope. The longer you wait, the harder it is to get. But you still want to do it. It's more likely. And so you kind of have to avoid. It's a little bit of a vicious cycle. That's why it's important for us to bring awareness in these types of seminars uh, just to make sure that people are at least aware of their options, aware that this may be a good opportunity. Uh, I would suggest having a meeting you know, with Craig. We have a network, national network of long-term care specialists that all they do full-time is this. And they all are client-centric and they, and they use all the different products out there. And having a meeting with them is actually doesn't cost you anything. So I would I would take advantage of that, you know, have that consultation, if you will, one on one with somebody so you can learn about your options. And then you can decide once you, you know, you're educated about what's available to you, if it's something you want to pursue or not. Mark, there's a couple of questions here, both from Justin. The first one reads, do you find that individuals might switch from term life 
in their mid fifties to long-term care, essentially shifting the premium. Uh, if I've yeah. paid off a house and have less responsibilities, is that a fair trade-off? Yeah, that's a good way of thinking about it is everyone goes through like life cycle phases where different insurance products become more relevant. So let's say you were uh, 35 years old and you had a young family and you might've bought a 20 year term policy that is now expiring at 55, which is uh, you know kind of like the scenario you mentioned. Well, at 55, you should reassess. Is life insurance still important for me? Do I need uh, this to take care of you know my kids, for example, now that they're grown up uh, or for other planning reasons that you might have it? Um, it may make sense to then take, okay, that premium I was paying for that term life insurance policy, why don't I do an equivalent amount of premium into a long-term care policy? Because now I'm entering the next phase in my life where I'm planning for retirement, which is the next risk on the table for my kids again. So, you know, I think that's a very good way of thinking about it. Um, there's different ways to do the planning, uh, you know, for life insurance, there's term life, and then there's cash value life insurance. And again, there's reasons to do both of those uh, different solutions, depending on your situation. In long-term care, it's similar too. We have traditional products, which are kind of like term products in a way. They're not limited in duration though, but they are something where you pay the premium and you really hope never to have to use it. Right, because if you never use long-term care, you didn't need care, which is actually a good situation to be in. But if you use it, you're really glad that you got it. And I think term life insurance has the same mentality. You're probably not going to use it, you know. But if you do need it, if you pass away earlier than you expect, your family is going to really be grateful that you had that in place. That's how. That's the mindset there. There's also what are called hybrid products now, which are cash value life insurance products with long-term care riders that give you more flexibility in how you use your life insurance. Um, this particular one we have on the screen has a feature similar to that. It tends to be less leverage, insurance leverage, obviously, but you get a trade-off, which is if you don't use the benefits, your beneficiary gets the money back as a death benefit. So the worst case scenario is you put the money into it over time, and let's say it's you know happens to be this amount of money, $87,000, the worst you can do is actually your kids will get back the $87,000 as a check upon your death, but it will provide you up to some amount of coverage. In this case, I can do it with the model, but in this case, I'm going to guess it's around 600,000 or something of, of coverage. So those are the trade-offs and that's kind of what we help assess is which one is better for your situation. Similarly, I would uh, add that disability income is another premium shift. As we get closer to the end of benefits on disability, that's another source of where premium often comes from for long-term care insurance as well. Yeah, it's probably worth uh, mentioning because a lot of people hear the word disability and long-term care also covers you, covers you in a situation where you have a disability. What's the difference between the two? And I'll kind of briefly mention disability is designed to cover your income when you become disabled during your working years. So there's two problems that happen if you become chronically ill or disabled while you're working. One is that all of a sudden your, your revenue, your income turns off because you may not be able to work. And that's the disability side. The second problem is your, expense, your expenses may increase because you need care. That's the long-term care side. So they kind of work together, providing for different aspects of your personal balance sheet, so to speak. Uh, and then after you turn 65, you may not need the income replacement anymore. The disability might expire, but the long-term care is still relevant because your expenses might still increase if you need long-term care. Perfect. Perfect. Thanks, talk about both the health insurance product and long-term care and the life insurance product of the hybrid with death benefit, uh, they're underwritten very differently. So uh, you may know of someone that uh, applied for long-term care insurance and was not eligible because of health reasons. 
they very well may be eligible for a life insurance product or vice versa. Correct. And uh, I wouldn't uh, necessarily say that health issues prevent us from getting you a plan. There's a few alternative options as well. Uh, there are sometimes there are annuity products that have long-term care riders. Craig and I have talked about that with uh, some clients in the past. Um, there is something called short-term care, which uh, has a limited duration, has a one-year benefit instead of a longer benefit. But guess what? If you have health issues and you can buy your family another year to come up with a plan, um, that's going to be really helpful to have that buy you time. So like I said, it, it's not quite a, a black and white answer for people. But what we do first, the very first thing we do with almost every uh, client is we actually go through some detailed health assessment because that tells us what options are on the table. And once we know what options are on the table, it becomes much easier to figure out the rest of the steps and know what exactly you know is, is going to be available. And sometimes we do different plans for husband and wife, for example, because one may be healthy, one, one isn't healthy, and we, we really try to customize it depending on the situation. So Justin's question uh, mentioned about uh, if I paid off my house, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the use of home equity during retirement years, as well as part of uh, one's long-term care plan. Yeah, that's another topic. I don't know if you want to cover it or and are you thinking in terms of home equity or reverse mortgage or what's your thoughts on that, Craig? Any and both of, both of the involved, they're on the menu. Yeah, you know, it's, it's really just about a funding source or a funding vehicle, right? That's what we're thinking about is what does your, your net worth look like? It's composed of a lot of different uh, variables. You might have a retirement account. You might have an HSA. Believe it or not, you can actually take money out of your HSA to pay long-term care insurance premiums. The government's pretty uh, generous on some of these things because they want you to get the plan too. Um, if you have a, own a business or if your spouse owns a business, um, long-term care is treated like health insurance where you can deduct it as a business expense, believe it or not, on the premiums. Most people don't know that. Um, so there's a lot of different ways to fund uh, the long-term care need. And once we have an idea of how you're funding it, um, then we can come up with solutions. So home equity being another way to do it, uh, it may not make sense to have kind of a surprise scenario where all of a sudden the kids need to sell your house, kind of like a fire sale because they need to pay for your care outside of the home. It's better to have a, a plan for what, what to do if that is your funding source, if that is your situation. Reverse mortgages today are a lot different than they were even five years ago. There's a lot more pro consumer protections. As long as you pay your property taxes, be careful to pay your property taxes. When you get a reverse mortgage, they can't actually necessarily take you out of your home, even if for some reason you can't uh, you know, pay for the mortgage, that kind of thing. So work with an expert in it. That's kind of the underlying theme. You know, Craig has expertise in a lot of these different areas. But the reason that we are working together is I have uh, expertise in the long-term care side, and I have a lot of people that do long-term care. We also know people who do reverse mortgages full-time for a living that know how to fund that way too. There's no right or wrong answer. It's just about what's personally the best fit for you. I think the key is to have a plan is better than to not have a plan. Exactly. I mean, that's that's the number one thing. Even if you walk away from this session and say, yeah, the church is not for me, just make sure you think about what your plan is going to be. And you're, you know, uh, a lot further than most people out there who kind of are blissfully unaware that they're walking into something that could be a big issue for them. Or maybe they're, they're um, intimately aware because they may be taking care of their parents, but they don't realize that there's a solution to that. Um, so uh, hopefully that's the probably the best takeaway from today's conversation. So Mark's a, a trusted partner and expert in long-term care. And as you were saying, as we go through the planning process, we'll call upon 
uh, different people in our professional network uh, as needed to make sure world-class services provided to the relationships that entrust us with their confidential information and looking for a path forward. Um, Non-financially, um, emotion, emotional toll, the health implications of a caregiver, it's very common that uh, someone's under extraordinary stress, uh, at least at times, when trying to balance the different roles and demands of what they need to do. Um, that can cause someone to uh, leave the workforce earlier than what they planned. Um, often it's a women's issue. Uh, Mark said that's common for an adult daughter, more so than an adult son, to be called upon as a caregiver. Uh, that often leaves that individual less prepared for their own income during retirement. Um, I heard a statistic earlier today from talking with uh, an expert in a different field, Social Security in this case, that uh, the majority of men retire, uh, rather um, pass away while married, and the majority of women pass away while single. There are different reasons for that, but it often is a situation where uh, a healthy spouse provides care for the spouse that's sick, and then once they're widowed, there are fewer resources remaining and no one else to reciprocate. And so it can be a, a challenge that we want to you know, advocate to do the right thing for the people that we care for and, and about. And uh, having a plan for long-term care is an important part of, of that equation. Scott, is there anything that you'd like to add? Um, I, I think there's a couple of things that like we, we've talked about, I, I think as you know, Mark said about you know, planning and doing it, uh, doing it earlier. Um, there's so many things that, that you have to take, you know, you take into consideration or the question even around life insurance. Uh, with some of the, you know, the changes with, uh, with the SECURE Act, which again, as we mentioned, is, is a, another uh, seminar topic that we're, we're going to be doing. But beneficiary designations, a lot of times folks don't uh, review those. And uh, I think, you know, I think that's, you know, that is important as, uh, you know, as you're planning long term, especially as you're, you're looking at, you know, at income uh, through retirement against sustainable income. But um, along, along with that, I, um, I think that with, with long term, with long term care, it's, it's understanding it's not really and today, as Craig said, with the chronic illnesses, it's not so much an if, but it's a when. And I think that's why the, the planning and why Mark does such a great job, uh, you know, with that is because it's going to be one of those things, Craig, I think that's, that's going to be, you know, inevitable. But I think it, it's, it's part of the whole comprehensive planning process. And I, I think a lot of times what we do is we piecemeal it. We, we take sections and we don't do it comprehensively. That's why I mentioned like beneficiary designations because some of the changes with eliminating stretch IRAs well what does that do to not only your income but the income of your survivors if they're you know if they're non-spouses if you are somebody that has trust for example we mentioned the importance of of estate and asset transfer which which Craig does a lot of work with but the SECURE Act made some changes to that to, so if you have a trust you need to review the trust the same way you need to review basic uh, beneficiary designations the same way you need to not only put a plan in place but review it and I think the question was great around you know the term insurance and having you know the mortgage paid off because then can I take those dollars and use those towards long-term care 
because if I have assets I do want to transfer, I want to make sure that I have a way not to have to spend those assets down before I do pass on. Because, Craig, you and I talked about this even earlier today, that, that sort of our role and in working with someone like Mark, our, our, our job is to not only help people have income, you know, through retirement, and again, we talk sustainable income, but understand that none of us gets out of this a lot. Eventually, one of the chapters in the book, which again, I, I recommend, sorry, my shameless plug for your book, but, but one of the chapters in the book is titled, Everything Happens in the Context of Time. And at one point, we are all going to run out of time. Our job and our responsibility as financial professionals and working with our clients is to make sure that the money doesn't expire before we do, before they do. So I think that's uh, that's in, in a nutshell, if you will, kind of what we do. It's a lot of what the book is about. Uh, it talks a lot about, about things like long-term care, long-term care expenses, health. And, uh, and again, it's from Craig's experience, 20 plus years, of situations that he has seen in, in all of that time. So. I want to add a couple of things there. Uh, when you can't make decisions for yourself, it's important that you have someone who's authorized to make them for you, a power of attorney, for example, to help that person to know what to do when it's time. Having a healthcare directive written down is important, so the burden of responsibility isn't as stressful. It's different when someone's charged with the responsibility to honor your wishes and they know what your wishes are versus having to make a, an urgent decision when they aren't quite sure, you know, what the right thing to do is and the clock is running and that can be obviously very stressful. So life happens sooner or later, something happens to everyone. Um, when you get that unexpected phone call, you know, obviously you're reacting to circumstances, whatever they may be, but by having a head start on some of this information, just might ease the burden just a bit. Mark, if you don't mind, could I trouble you to put up the second of our polling questions? Oh yeah, we'll go ahead. And I do see there's another long-term care question in the Q&A, but let's do the poll first and then we'll answer the question. Um, so the second question I'm gonna launch, uh, feel free again to choose an option that pops up on your screen. It's a true false question. I'll read it out loud though. Medicare covers long-term care expenses. Okay, so if you're listening carefully, you might know the answer to this from our earlier conversation, but true or false, does Medicare cover long-term care expenses? And I'll wait like 10 seconds. Hopefully you guys see that pop up on the screen. we we'll get some voting. Anybody see it pop up? Uh, hope it's working. Oh, I got, a, I got a hand raise. I'm not sure if the polling question is working because I can see Okay, something something glitched on the polling question, so we'll have to uh, answer it without the answers. But okay, I'll try to relaunch it if that works. Relaunching. Okay, continue. Allow panelists. To vote. Well, I, I'll uh, allow you guys to vote too if you want. Did that pop up on your screen? Did not pop up. Okay, it may it may be uh, Zoom system overloaded. There, I've heard that so many people are doing Zooms right now because of what's going on that they're not taking new customers because they have too many people on the system. So I think it may be affecting the, the, uh, the poll here, but um, we'll answer the question. Uh, uh, Craig, I, well, I want you to answer the question. Does Medicare cover long-term care expenses? Not to any significant extent, right? Basically. Right, right. It basically, yeah. Rehabilitation. Covers, 
sorry, I'm talking over you. Uh, the, it covers the first 20 days, but only in a skilled nursing situation. So not necessarily if you need um, just care in your home, uh, 20 days, okay? So not very much. And then it, it kind of grades off over about a 90, 100 day period. So generally we say that Medicare does not cover long-term care. And in fact, that's what the government says on the social security uh, for uh, the statement that you get every year, there's a big bold paragraph that says Medicare does not cover long-term care. So you may want to consider private insurance. They want to kind of let you know uh, at the end of the day that you're on your own to, to cover that risk. Um, do you want to do the third question or do you want to take the question in the, in the panel first? Third and final one. Okay, let's go to the third and final poll question first. And we may not be able to do the poll, it looks like, but I'll read it out loud anyway, which is um, Medicare is a federally funded government program, whereas Medicaid is a federal and state funded program. Okay, so how are Medicare and Medicaid funded? Is it true or false? Medicare is federally funded, whereas Medicaid is both federal and state funded. I'm guessing the poll is probably not working, but uh, if you want to type it in the chat bar like uh, Justin did, if you know the answer to this, we'll give you like five more seconds. And then, um, Craig, why don't you go ahead and take this one because it looks like it's not, the poll is not working right now. That's a true statement. That's a true statement, correct. Everybody's got it right. Yes, yeah, so we got it right in the, in the chat. Good job there. You got it. And so we have we have somewhat of a math problem because of demographics. We have an aging population and more people taking out of the float program than putting into it, which is why we have to have some sort of uh, conversation about how to deal with these problems. Right. So. Um, let, me, let me go ahead. I'm going to answer the question, Craig, if you don't mind. Uh, that was asked in the question and answer uh, after we had asked uh, answered a couple of others, which involves. Let me read it out loud. Uh, do I assume the older you get, the more expensive long-term care insurance is? And I think it's easier to explain by going back to that software just to look at it. Um, the short answer is uh, it gets a little bit more expensive with age as you go to age 65, 70. Once you get above 65 or so, it starts to go up more dramatically. So just to kind of give you an idea here, at age 65, this particular plan for a couple, two people, this is the combined cost, might be another $100 for a five-year difference, okay? So like an extra, let's say $20 a year for, per month for every year you are older. Uh, at age 70, you'll see it kind of jumps up a little bit more for that five years. At age 75, you can see a big jump. And so it's really important to get it, particularly by the age of 65 or 70, if you're kind of approaching those ages, because it starts to jump up more. But, but also as important, the reason it's jumping up more is because you're much closer at this age to the age at which you might need care. So the bigger issue is actually not necessarily the cost as much as it is when you're 75 years old, it's a much lower likelihood that you will be able to qualify for this particular plan. Because again, a lot of people have chronic or cumulative health conditions that come up. Um, I'll do a quick assessment. We didn't look at the self-funding, but I think it might be good just to pull it up so you can see. This again shows you that insurance leverage, um, if you used all the benefits for a couple in this particular scenario as a 65-year-old couple, and we can compare that to self-insuring or self-funding. And again, we can plug in a certain rate of return you might get on a safe type of investment, like a bond investment, because 
this is not really an investment. This is designed for a very highly rated insurance company to pay you. So we would look at something that's a highly rated bond, let's say that was issued by the insurance company. Let's say it was a 5%, a longer term bond. This is a pretty hard rate to get in today's environment anyway. Uh, but you can compare how does this look if you put in the same amount of money in total insurance versus putting it into an account and saving. And you can see, especially as you get to those older ages, you don't have as much time to save money to create a meaningful pool of benefits to cover the risk. And that's the other reason you see insurance is much more strategically advantageous as comparing you know, the two sides here. And that's the type of thing we'll go through with every person just to make sure, because if there is another alternative, we wouldn't recommend insurance if we thought it wasn't a good fit. Uh, generally speaking though, because the insurance company is not paying you anything, if you don't need the insurance, you typically can get a lot more uh, because of that. Uh, with the hybrid products, again, you're going to see a little bit of a different scenario. It's still attractive, but it's a little bit different. This would be with what we call return a premium rider, where if you don't use it, uh, you, the money comes back. You'll see the same benefits. You don't get as much leverage, but you're putting more money into it, but it still compares well uh, to the self-funding side of it. You just have more money you're putting into your self-fund here. So I won't go through the details. I know we're approaching the end of the session, but hopefully that was helpful for, uh, for your question there. wrap up a couple of slides here, um, mainly with uh, Click me, uh, Craig, do me a favor. Yep, there you go. Now it's working. Perfect. I want to advance that to there. Questions, my uh, email is really simple, craig at craiglidle.com or if you want to call or text, that's my cell phone number. Uh, it's voicemail is probably full at the moment, but uh, I'll go through and clear it out after this is over uh, if you call or or text to me or, or email whatever you prefer if you have questions uh, that you would like to run by me offline or, or run through different scenarios that mark went through today uh, the important thing i think is to be mindful uh, during this time it's uh, 